0: This is the current federal tax developments for the week of March the 21st, 2022. Current federal tax developments are brought to you by Kaplan Financial Education and by your state society of CPAs. I'm Ed Zollers, and this week we're going to look at a few things that happened in another week that didn't have huge developments in the area of federal taxes, but did have a few things of interest that we want to look at here during tax season. The first thing we're going to look at is the IRS this year got out way earlier. Last year, it wasn't until August. This year, in March, the IRS gets out the limits for depreciation under Section 280F for autos. That came out last year, as I said, late into August. That can help you when you're trying to project up 2022 tax issues to understand what the tax depreciation limits are going to be on cars for the year. We'll talk about those limits and how they came out. We also have another letter. This one signed actually two letters because one came from House members, one came from Senate members, though they are identically worded, uh, that were signed by over 100 lawmakers who are members of both parties asking the IRS to answer certain questions about their Problems are having suspending notices, specifically to update them on things like which of the notices you claim you can't suspend and why not, and are we going to get more work and where are we standing right now, and those issues, plus an update from the commissioner later in the week that uh, told us about when the commissioner believes they're going to get caught up on the backlog, and finally we'll talk about the IRS formalizing guidance we discussed earlier related to farmers and fishermen giving them relief from filing their from the March 1st deadline for filing and paying your taxes if you're a qualifying farmer or fisherman who hadn't paid estimated taxes during the year and how the IRS has offered relief this year that will essentially allow all qualifying farmers and fishermen to go ahead and get that same exemption from the underpayment of estimated tax penalty as long as they file and pay by April 18th. So we'll discuss that briefly in the mix. But let's start out with the car issue. This is IRS Revenue Procedure 2022-17. It was issued on March the 16th. And as I noted, this came out much earlier than last year. Last year, this particular notice didn't come out until the middle of August. So we spent most of last year not aware what the depreciation limits were going to be for the year. And that complicates you, especially if you're trying to do a tax basis financial statement presentation. It's a little bit difficult to do that if you had autos on the depreciation schedule that were impacted by these limitations. You had to guess at what the limit would be for 2022, or in that case, 21 and then work your way from there this year we actually have it before the end of the first quarter so if you are doing a quarterly financial statements you now will at least know what the auto depreciation limits are going to be for any cars replaced in service this year as before it is for cars that are acquired after September 27th of 2017 and placed in service this year. Probably most of the cars you're dealing with were acquired in 22 and placed in service in 22. And probably not a whole bunch were acquired back in 20, you know, early 2017 or earlier and just got placed in service this year. But just in case, we'll talk about that. Now, the actual limitations, as has been true in the past, there are two different key tables here that are involved. The first table deals with the limitations if the taxpayer uses bonus depreciation on the autos that are required. Remember, now that could either be they could elect not to use it or conceivably not be allowed to use it, though that's going to be a lot more restrictive in that case. But if you are using bonus, you've elected to use bonus depreciation, then your limitation will be nineteen thousand two hundred for the first year. That'll be your limit on bonus depreciation, or on your total depreciation for the year. If you, when we get into the second year for the car and certain light trucks, uh, that'll get our number to eighteen thousand ten thousand eight hundred for the third year, and six thousand four hundred sixty for every succeeding year. Now, the only difference if you don't claim bonus depreciation is not with the years after year one. Only year one has a different limitation. In that case, the first year would be 11200 is the maximum you could claim in depreciation for that year. Now, the other thing that is part of this notice every year. Like I said, we have these limitations. The other thing that's always part of this notice is we do get the lease inclusion tables. If you have a lease that's deemed to start, you start the lease in 2022, uh, we will get the new amount to add back to that to make it equivalent, quote unquote, to the limitation on depreciation. So if you have one of those, you got a lease car, we need the lease inclusion amount. Uh, For that, for purposes of recording this properly, or at least for tax purposes, uh, that also is contained in this revenue procedure that came out on the 16th of March. Next up, well, we we've done we've been down this road before, but there is a new letter that was sent to the IRS commissioner that was signed by over 100 lawmakers and these lawmakers set on both sides of the aisle. That's that's helpful in a case like this. I mean, quite often, especially in an election year, if you have a letter that is signed by only the members of one party, there's a reasonable chance that is political posturing primarily. And I, you know, in election year, I hate to be that skeptical, but I am that, you know, the, the real the letters being driven not so much by expecting things to change, but more by expecting your, yourself to be able to, you know, say, hey, look what I tried to do when you go back to sell yourself to your constituents. But this one covers members of both parties, and that carries with it the threat that there could be actual congressional action on this issue if Congress, if the IRS does not address it to the satisfaction of the members. And also very important, two of the uh, people signing on the Senate side are members of the Senate Finance Committee and members that are more than minor minorly important members they're not the ranking members but they are up there in terms of seniority so definitely it would be a case of something the IRS should worry about now what they're going to ask here is updates on a number of issues they have six of them they want to know first what are the remaining unsuspended notices that the IRS has currently the authority to expend, and Please explain if you have the authority to suspend these notices why you're still sending them. Okay, that, that's the first question. And they do note that the last time they got a formal answer from the IRS prior to this letter being released on March the 11th was when, the, when they got a response from the IRS on February 8th. So it's been over a month. The IRS had said they were working on other things. They talked about all of these issues they needed address, and how some things they, they couldn't slow down the issuance of notices due to legal problems. So this letter is coming back on that. It also says, is the IRS in the process of working to suspend additional notices? And if so, when do they expect to have that work completed? So give us an update. Uh, which notices would the agency are, substat- are statutorily required to be issued in a specific time? And would the IRS suspend these notices if they have the authority to do so? This third one is effectively calling the IRS's bluff. Remember, the IRS told us that for a number of notices that, you know, they have to be issued within a certain time frame. And therefore, they don't have the authority to suspend issuing those notices. Well, now Congress kind of what the AICPA has said, too, is Congress would probably be willing to discuss doing that suspension. So bottom line. This kind of calls the bluff from the IRS's standpoint, says, okay, tell us exactly which notices is the same question that AICPA and other tax and other basically tax professional organizations have asked, which is exactly what are the ones you claim you need additional authority in order to be able to suspend and, you know, let give us a list and we'll go to Congress and try to get this updated. So now we have Congress asking the same thing. They also want to know why the IRS continues to issue CP2000 notices. Those are the notices of unreported income. As we're all more than slightly aware, that is something the IRS issues a lot of continuously. It is an automated reporting process. And the problem currently is if the CP2000 notice is in error, there is really no good way to get this handled or fixed rather at best you get stuck in a queue waiting forever for the IRS to get to the pro to the issue and for a lot of taxpayers and therefore a lot of our clients you know they don't understand why this can't just be resolved it was properly reported or you know it's in my income you know whatever why isn't this being corrected and why are we having so much trouble getting this fixed with the IRS and as we all know What's probably going to happen, even if you do get into the IRS's systems in many cases, uh, either you have to try to get through on the phone lines, which involves spending a lot of time on hold, uh, if you're going to go that route, and clients don't like paying for that. You know, It's like in order to correct a notice asking for $300 of extra tax it's not owed, Don't really want to be paying for 20 hours of professional time, which is going to end up costing far more than that noticed, you know, just paying the tax. would. They also don't want to pay the tax. But if you then do it by writing, which in theory works, though you have to get back on the phone probably multiple times anyway, but if you do it by writing, then at best you get a notice that they, oh, we can't get to your stuff and we'll give you another 45 days. And we know the 45-day letter, they're not going to get to it within that time frame and therefore they're going to end up having to issue another letter. There's going to be this whole back and forth going on. As well as if you do get through and they decide to withhold action temporarily and put you on a suspension, that suspension is always far shorter than what's going to be needed for the IRS to catch up. So that creates problems in and of itself. So they want to know why do we continue to issue more of these? Because you can't resolve them if they're if they're not right. The taxpayer says they're not. You know, the taxpayer tries to question whether they're right or not. Uh, they just can't get any back and forth on this, right? And they said, and finally, well, no, not finally, fifth. Now we get to deal with the K-2, K-3 controversy just for fun. Now, as I said, I'm not sure I'm that concerned about the K-2, K-3 controversy at this point in time because we got, we've, we're we've now past the March 15th deadline. I realize there's still more to be filed, but at this point in time, we're probably transitioning over to 1040s for a while, at least in my office, so... Probably the K2, K3 deal has a little more time to deal with, but they are asking the IRS, you know, they noted that despite the publication of 2021-39 that offered the safe harbor, not safe harbor, but offered reasonable cause relief, they noted, you know, if you were unable to properly file the K2, K3 information, you know, uh essentially controversy around k2s and k3s remains including recent additional instructions the inability to electronically file and lingering uncertainty regarding many requirements as such is the IRS contemplating relief such as delaying implementation to 2023 i think at this point that may get more interesting if they try to do it my problem at this point is there are definitely uh partnerships and s corporations timely filed at March 15th and went through the complete hassle of complying with the K2 K3 requirements. They didn't want to go on extension, they didn't want to file a return that was in that was not complete, just ignoring the issue. That's not a good idea. They didn't go on extension. So they've now done the work, it's gone through, they've had to deal with it either you know and probably both some internally so just bother for the partnerships and the partners getting the information together and potentially incur expenses internally on that plus if they're paying a professional to handle the return there's going to be additional costs and issues on that side and now if they say oh just kidding you can wait till 23 uh, yeah that group will now be upset so I think it's getting tougher for the IRS to offer that kind of broad-based relief. We'll, we'll see, but I have a feeling the concern is going to be the backlash uh, from those that already complied for a timely filing about suddenly being told, well, if you got on extension and you just had ignored the problem, you'd be no problem whatsoever. Again, I think that, that, that's a much tougher call politically to pull off at this point. So we'll see what happens. I would have expected if the IRS was really considering that they would have gotten that all together and done and made that move back about a month or a month or more back in order to get rid of this. And finally, they say in early February, the IRS advised Congress is considering a symptomatic process to identify pending penalty abatement requests and likewise evaluate penalty relief options. Has the IRS determined if it can provide penalty relief for taxpayers as previously offered by the IRS for the 2020-2021 tax year? If not, why not? Now, the commissioner later in the week, interestingly enough, uh, actually gave some testimony at that point before the House Ways and Means Oversight Subcommittee on March the 17th. So a St. Patrick's Day testimony, let's say. And he updated a few things there. One of the more interesting things he updated was that he expects that they will be able to catch up with the mail backlog by the end of this year. Now, you might say, well, that means we've got to live with it through the end of this year. And I'd say, yeah, that seems likely. Um, And so it's a question, is that good news or bad news? I suspect, assuming they can meet that target, it's about as good as we could have expected. Yes, in a perfect world, we would like to have the backlog disappear tomorrow. In reality, there's no way that's happening, right? It's just pure and simple. You can't solve that problem by just snapping the fingers and having it happen. You can do certain things like suspending notices, but even that's not going to make all of our clients happy because again, clients get very stressed out just having the fact that this notice they got last year, you know, that basically came out eventually with an intent to levy notice that that's still sitting there and just, Oh, they're not going to say anything for the next six months, but do I owe it? You know, what should I do about it? And the answer is, well, you know, we you know we, we've suspended action, but that's all we can say. They're not giving everybody a get out of jail free card uh, for all the notices that were previously issued. I doubt that's ever going to realistically happen. But they're also not able to solve that issue. So again, and it was conditioned on everything remaining as it is, and that's kind of a backdoor way of saying that we don't have another curveball thrown at us. By the COVID pandemic or any other sort of thing that we're not currently thinking of, but that could cause issues. So this will also be one of our key things to watch. Um, Now, the commissioner was asked about penalty relief. He did not commit on that. He claims all he said is they were aware of the requests but he did not commit to providing any sort of penalty relief. So I guess the sixth question they asked in the letter, well, they kind of got an answer. They're not going to be happy with it at the moment. So we'll see. Now, he did remind everybody that his term as commissioner is going to come to an end shortly, and that actually by the end of this year, his term will be up. So there is going to be an appointment of a new commissioner. Uh, I, From what I can tell, and I suspect i really believe it probably is the case that even if the uh, president wanted to reappoint him and it's not clear if he would because again remember this was an appointment of the prime administration uh, but even if he wanted to I'm not sure the commissioner wants to keep moving in this office I I think as a practical matter uh, he's probably burned out by now too and done dealing with it So we will probably be seeing a new commissioner and we'll just have to see what comes of that and how things work, whether that slot will be filled immediately or whether we'll get interims again. That's an open question. Remember, we had interim commissioner for quite a while uh, before Commissioner Reddick was confirmed. So we'll see if we get more of these fill in interim commissioners or we go straight to a real one for this year. Finally, this we talked about before, notice twenty twenty two thirteen. 13. At least we told you the IRS said this was coming. Right, this is notice twenty twenty two thirteen, 13 issued on March 15, 2022. This deals with the special unemployment, not unemployment state, the special underpayment of estimated tax issues that apply to qualified farmers and fishermen. If you're not aware of the rule, if you're a qualified farmer and fisherman, you have to meet certain criterias. Uh, just, just going out there you know, and, and growing a couple things in your garden is not going to make you a qualified farmer or fisherman. There are requirements on revenue, income, etc., revenue stuff that comes from farming in your operations. So you have to meet those requirements. But if you meet those requirements, you essentially are under a very different estimated tax requirement scheme. Instead of being required to make payments quarterly, you rather can make a single payment at January 15. And you can even go beyond that because if you qualified, you're a qualified farmer or fisherman, you can actually, even if you don't make a payment by January 15, you still will not get an underpayment of estimated tax penalty if you get your return complete, finished, filed, and the taxes paid by March 1st. Now this year, some software providers were having problems, and they related to the form seventy-two hundred three. You may remember form seventy-two hundred three is the form on which you have to report your uh, basis and information about loans, shareholder loans, if you own an interest in an S corporation and you've reported a loss, received a distribution, uh, you know, received a repayment on amount you loaned the S corporation. Or you dispose of your stock in any fashion, taxable or not. Any of those apply for the year. And, of course, that's going to probably cover most S-corporation owners will have one of those things at least happen. You know, they have an overall net loss. They end up getting a distribution, right? You know, they basically they have a loan that they got a repayment on or they you know essentially have disposed of their interest or frankly it also works out the way the instructions are if you have carryover losses due to lack of basis from your S corporation you end up doing 7203 as well well at least some software vendors were not able to file form 7203 by March 1st that means if you were a farmer or fisherman and you were ready to go your return was ready you're ready to pay the tax you still couldn't make things work because you couldn't file the Form 7203. And that that created a problem. So now we're getting to the relief issues, right? This issue. This relief had been promised earlier. We talked about this, I think it was last week, maybe even. We talked about the IRS's promise to give relief to qualified farmers and fishermen. But they didn't tell us what the relief would be and exactly how it would work. This week in the notice, Notice 2022-13, we get that formal relief. Basically, this rule says if you're a qualified farmer or fisherman and you file your return by April 18th and you make the payments at that time, timely payments at that time, to pay off your tax liability, then the underpayment estimates will be waived by the service. The service recognized the e-filing issues, recognize that taxpayers may have been caught out by that and so says hey look we're going to just make it open for this purpose now one interesting thing to note right off is nothing in the notice requires you to actually have been impacted by the 7203 issue that caused all of this to get started even if you were not impacted your farmer or fisherman owns no s corporation stock so we have nothing out there. We didn't have to file 7203. We just simply didn't get our stuff together yet. Right? We just are behind. Right? We, we hadn't kept up. We hadn't done that. Maybe we're just procrastinating. But in any event, we, we didn't, weren't ready to file. We didn't file by, April, by March 1st. As long as that return gets filed by April 18th and the tax is paid, you still do not owe underpayment of estimated taxes. Now, the IRS does realize that some farmers may have paid, may have filed their return already, let's say shortly after March 1st, because some vendors were just getting up and running right around the beginning of March on 7203. So maybe these people filed their return on March 2nd, 3rd, 4th, whatever, before the IRS issued their news release that this relief was coming, or they didn't know about this relief. So if you filed your return and you essentially have paid this extra underpayment tax that now you don't owe, the IRS tells you how to go ahead and get that money back. And what you're going to do is you have to file not a Form 1040X. You're going to rather file Form 843, Claim for Refund and Request for Abatement. And you're going to follow in accordance with the instructions on Form 843. So remember, this is a Form 843, not a 1040X. Please remember that. You're going to write request for relief under notice 2022-13 at the top of the form. On line form, you're going to enter 6654, the section that is the underpayment section. You're going to check the third box on, fi- on line 5A. On line 5B, show the date of any payment of tax liability and the addition to tax under the underpayment penalty rules, the 6654 of the tax rate involved. And on line 7, state why the taxpayer's circumstances satisfy the criteria for relief from the statute. Generally, this would include the status of the taxpayer, the qualifying taxpayer fisherman, filing a 2021 return, uh, paying in full the tax that was due uh, by April 18th, filing by April 18th. Or if you're a taxpayer who live in Maine or Massachusetts, you got the one more day to April 19th. So if you have any clients that were farmers, fishermen that filed early in March and said, oh, dear, this is horrible, awful. You know, we met we, we missed this date. And therefore, it wasn't timely filed. And you're like getting grumbling because, you know, what do you mean your software couldn't do 7203? I can't believe I'm paying this penalty because your software fouled up. And yeah, so you can get that money back. So good news from that standpoint. At least we have some relief offered by the service in this area as I said, this has kind of been a quiet week. We really don't have much because we're pretty much done with the significant developments for the week at this point. Again, we will take a look at anything that happens in the coming week and we'll talk to you next week about how that goes. Uh, if you have questions, you can email me Ed Zollers at Developments.com. Also follow along. I'm on the Connect sites for the Arizona, New Jersey, Minnesota, Illinois, and Washington Societies of CPAs. And I also uh, monitor posts that go up on the Idaho Societies uh, site. So if you're a member of any of those societies, uh, you can go ahead and post on those message boards you have access to. And uh, if I see something useful, I see something I think I might be able to help with, I'll probably respond in some way, shape, or form. So be aware of that No absolute commitment to responding, but, you know, I very well may may be responding if I find something useful there. Otherwise, I hope your tax season is going well to this point. We will, of course, be back here next week. We'll talk to you about what happens in the coming week in the area of current federal tax developments.